Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're here today. Hope you're ready to study the Bible a little bit with us and learn a few more things about your Bible, hopefully. Uh, if you're a first-time viewer, that's what this program is about, is learning about the Bible uh, we've got a phone number and a website you can see at the bottom of the screen. Uh, those are available anytime. Use them and you tell us what you want us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Uh, we get real specific questions. We get general questions. We get life questions. In fact, uh, I think my first one today is a, a political question even, which... Uh, We'll deal with it a little bit, but mainly we try to answer things from the Bible, what the Bible has to say about something, and uh, we're glad to do that and hope you give us some good questions today. So phone number, website, let us know. We'll talk about it. Uh, now, when I say we, I mean Toby Levering and I. Toby, howdy. Good morning, Steve. Toby's back, and I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to answer as many of your questions as we can. Uh, if you've been watching very long, you know we always start with one for our audience. So here's your question for the day. Who was Joshua's father? Joshua, the Old Testament cre uh, character, who was his father? And it's a great trivia question all by itself. So we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know it. Uh, Toby, you got yep. a sinful question here. A sinful question. That's exactly right. Are all sins equal or are some greater than others, a viewer asks? Well, uh, <clears throat> um, sin is, uh, if you uh, are not familiar with the word, it's a word found in the Bible and it refers to basically missing the mark missing the standard of God, not, it could be not doing what He commands to do, it could be doing something which He's commanded not to do, but it's, it's here's God's standard and it's anything less than that standard. Now, uh, are there differences in sin? Certainly. Uh, we understand that there are differences and, you know, gossip is a sin and uh, lying is a sin, but murder is also a sin and adultery is also a sin. There are different levels of consequences, and if you kind of think, <clears throat> I've used this description before, uh, of a pond uh, that's perfectly smooth and clear, that is uh, as God's perf standard of perfection, and sin is pebbles or rocks in the pond. Uh, when you throw them in, small little pebbles make tiny little ripples, and of course a very large boulder would make a big splash. Uh, they all disturb the water. They all... Um, make it less than perfect, but there's different levels of splash and different results from throwing those sins in. So sins are different with different consequences. Uh, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, and the scripture there reads, All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death, uh, referring here to physical death. There are, now, <clears throat> some people use this scripture and they kind of classify sins and you've got the mortal sins and the venial sins and some 
sins immediately take you straight to hell and others don't. And Well, that's just a man-made system and list. That's not in the Bible anywhere. We understand there are different types of sin, but all sin uh, leads to uh, resulted in our physical death. And if we don't handle it through Jesus Christ, it will lead to our spiritual death. So they're equal, but they're different. And I hope that clarifies just a little bit. All righty. We got a, a political question here, let's say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a viewer wants to know, how can a Christian uh, support President Trump? Uh, wouldn't Jesus call us hypocrites if we did? Well, if you've watched this program very long, you know, we don't do politics very well, uh, very often at all, because uh, this is not a political program, and these days politics is a <laughs> huge flashpoint, and unbelievably it's become almost a test of your uh, faith and a test of your humanity and a test of everything else, uh, depending which uh, party you support almost. It's gotten kind of crazy in this world, and that may be one reason that uh, a lot of Christians in the past especially uh, believed that Christians shouldn't have much to do with politics, uh, that this world is not our home. We're not of this kingdom. And some people take that to the extreme. Uh, we are blessed in America. We get a chance to vote. Uh, we get a chance to select our leaders or help select them. Uh, and we certainly ought to vote with Christian principles in mind. But I think everybody would admit if you're looking for a perfect Christian to elect as president or governor or mayor or anything, it's pretty hard to find one. Uh, it's often our choice as Christians when we vote uh, is selecting the least bad <laughs> between candidates and the one that we think will do the best for our country or state or city or whatever. Uh, so I guess I'm saying in a roundabout way, uh, we make politics a little bit too important in our Christianity and judging whether a Christian can support this person or that person is uh, probably not a very good idea and certainly not a good idea for us to make a ruling on here on the program. Uh, instead, I think I'll answer it this way. Viewer said, how can a Christian support Trump? Now, I'm not saying this means we approve of everything a candidate does or, or think they're just perfect and a perfect Christian, but here's our responsibility and remind you that this is talking about uh, anywhere. And when it was written, uh, the rulers were pretty evil, uh, very, very evil, the rulers of Rome and all that. Here's what Christians' responsibility is to leaders. And let's look in Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 1. Paul said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. And here's our second responsibility in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Paul said, pray for kings and all who are in a high position that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. All right, so how can you support candidate X or president Y or whoever? Because here's what Christians do. Uh, they submit themselves to the governing authorities, they respect the governing authorities, and they pray for the governing authorities. And the prayer should be, 
I hope that person leads this country or this state or whatever so that Christians can live a quiet and peaceable life. Uh, that's our responsibility as Christians, and we'll keep the politics separate from it and make the best decision you can based on Christian principles, uh, but support our leaders no matter who they are. Oh, man, I, you dodged a bullet there. I, I'm impressed how you did that. Eh? <laughs> no, good answer. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's, 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 we, this is that's, about the Bible, yeah, not about, not about exactly politics. that's exactly right. Very wise there, I think. <laughs> no, good answer. Uh, if you were asked the question, why do we call Paul an apostle when he doesn't qualify under Acts chapter 1, verse 21? Well, uh, you're, I'm actually going to say you're right. According to Acts chapter 1, verse 21, uh, Paul doesn't qualify to be an apostle. This won't be on the screen, but if you want to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verse 21, uh, here's how it's described. And what they're doing is trying to replace Judas as an apostle. And they, they kind of lay down these two basic qualifications. He says, So one of the men who have, <clears throat> who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Well, of course, Paul, of course, that we know of, was not a part of that process. Of course, he wouldn't have been called Paul then. He would have been Saul. Uh, he wasn't a, a, a part of them from the baptism to the resurrection. He wasn't a part of that process in that story. Um, <clears throat> the apostles were people who were sent and, and by Jesus to, to spread the word and to go preach about the kingdom. And uh, they were witnesses of who Jesus was and what he had done. So it only makes sense to have somebody who knew who Jesus was, who saw the miracles, who heard the teachings. As far as we understand, Saul wasn't there. He probably heard of Jesus, but uh, he, he wasn't there directly to witness any of that. So uh, it's a fair question. How can we even call Paul an apostle? And Peter actually argued against it in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 15, when Saul is being called here. Uh, <clears throat> Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, I said Peter, I meant Ananias. He's sort of arguing with the Lord here when the Lord tells him about going to, to uh, present uh, the gospel to Saul. And here's what Jesus says in verse, this is Acts 9, verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. So Paul was chosen uniquely by Jesus. He was commissioned by him and well, I'm not going to argue with Jesus. He he gets to choose who he wants and I think he certainly had his reasons which we'll not go into but but Paul was a unique uh, chosen apostle. In fact Paul even would might even agree with you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He said, I not only didn't meet the standard of being a witness, I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, verse 10, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. Paul was not only chosen by Jesus, but he was given a very special measure of grace, unmerited favor. So my simple answer, why is Paul an apostle? Because Jesus showed him grace. 
And I think it's a, a powerful lesson about why he was able to do the mission work that he was because he knew that he was chosen uniquely and that he had been shown much grace through the process. Let's read Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, where Paul says this about himself. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So that's my answer. Paul was special. Okay, good answer, and I think you're all right on all that, but <clears throat> while you were answering it, I was thinking, we don't know how much Paul knew about Jesus and all that. Mm -hmm. He may have very well gone out and watched John baptize people. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Paul was so active anti-Christian that he probably knew a whole lot about uh, Christ and his followers and all that, and as far as being a witness of the resurrection, he did see him on the road to Damascus. So, well, yeah, eventually so, he did. So he, he was a witness. Uh, so maybe he kind of qualified. I don't yeah, know. Anything's possible. <laughs> You're right. Jesus picked him, and we're not going to argue. All right, let me take a moment and invite you to study the Bible with us in a little different way. Uh, for 30 minutes each week, you listen to us talk about the Bible, but that does not substitute for getting into the Bible yourself. And we've got some free materials that help you do that. Uh, we've got a lot of old-time Bible students watching the program that know their Bible and study it every day. And we've got a lot of folks, I bet, that uh, just never got started in Bible study. So we've got some tools that we think help you do that. You see a little set of lessons on the screen, uh, the first lessons that we send out. And that's a good way to get started in Bible study, a little different than just sitting down and trying to start reading from Genesis 1-1 on. Uh, this introduces you to the Bible in a little different way, shows you the two big parts of your Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, takes you into some other topics. And uh, when you're done, you'll know a lot more about your Bible. So good way to do it. Phone number, website on the screen all the time. Use those anytime. Uh, just say, I want that free course, and we'll get it started for you. And uh, we think you'll like it, and we think you'll know a lot more about your Bible when you study it. All right, viewer wants to know, is it wrong to go to church without tithing? Most of the time, we don't have enough for the offering. Okay, a couple of things in here. Uh, first of all, it says not wrong to go to church without putting a tithe or putting an offering in the plate. Uh, some people get paid once a month, and I think it's perfectly fine for them to give their offering out one time a month. Uh, you don't have to go give something every time you go. Uh, so maybe that's one thing. But this person, I think, is asking another question. Uh, we don't have enough to tithe. Now, first of all, we aren't commanded to tithe. The word tithe means 10%. That's what the Old Testament Jews had to give was 10% plus some more actually, but 10%. We're not commanded that. The New Testament is free will offering. Uh, you determine how much you can give and give that. Uh, so we're not commanded to give 10%. It's a good place to start. A good way to think about giving is growing from there, but we're not commanded to. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's wrong to go without giving, but I think maybe it's poor planning. Uh, maybe it's a lack of faith. Uh, I think it's a bad idea uh, to not give, to think you don't have enough to give. Uh, the principle of giving is to give something 
and then you'll be blessed. Let's, let's read a passage that may help you understand that. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 9 and 10. Here's the principle. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, obviously, this was in an agrarian society, and uh, the proverb was that honor God with your possessions, with your first fruits. Give him something uh, out of your possessions first, and you'll do well. You'll be blessed. Your barns will be full, and your vats will be full of wine. Uh, show your faith, and you'll be blessed. Uh, give something, and then grow in that giving. So my advice to this person is you say you don't have enough to give. Well, give something. Uh, start for a couple of months. Say, I'm going to give this much. I think you'll find out that you still have enough. Uh, God will take care of you. Uh, once you see that, give a little bit more. Uh, you'll find out you still have enough. You can't outgive God. Uh, sometimes I say it this way that we do better uh, with the 90% uh, that God manages than with the 100% that we manage uh, because he blesses us in ways that we can't understand. So give something, start giving a little bit more, uh, show your faith in that way, and I think you'll find out you'll be blessed very well. All right. A uh, viewer asked a question that we get a lot on this program about baptism. What does the Bible say about the form of baptism with sprinkling, etc.? Well, when we look at the original language of the uh, New Testament and we study it, uh, there, the word that's translated as baptism or baptize is a transliterated word, meaning the, the original language is baptizo, and they just translated it directly over into English, a word that doesn't have any meaning in the English language. The original language meant simply to immerse to be buried, uh, to be plunged under. You study any Greek language and look at that, even outside of biblical, uh, outside of the biblical text, um, baptiza was used to describe a shipwreck when the ship went uh, sunk underneath the water. It was baptizo. Uh, sprinkling, which is one that you ask about, is a different word. It's rentizo. And so there are two very different words in terms of uh, form. And we uh, the only mention we have is baptizo. So um, if you were to ask a first century Christian, can I be uh, baptized in any other way except being buried underneath the water, uh, they it wouldn't connect. There, there would be a, a difference. They wouldn't be understand what you're asking because the word itself means simply to be immersed. Um, and that's the other thing that we see in terms of example Every time we have an example of someone being baptized, they're going down into the water. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul uh, compares it and says that we've been buried with Christ in baptism, buried into his death. And so, <clears throat> uh, Acts chapter 8, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip's conversion of him, uh, telling him about Jesus, and he says, Here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? <coughs> Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so the scripture records that they went down into the water. And then when uh, the eunuch came up out of the water, <coughs> then he was <coughs> baptized. So the act of being immersed is the only form that's mentioned in the scripture. It's the only example that we have. 
And so when we're talking about baptism, that's what we mean, uh, being buried for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's read Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him <coughs> by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, <coughs> we shall certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So I hope that helps clarify the meaning of the word baptism. All right, I got a question about races. What does the Bible say about races intermixing? And I assume I mean intermarrying particularly. Uh, well, I answer that real quickly. The Bible says absolutely nothing about that uh, because the Bible doesn't say anything about races. Uh, this may surprise you, but it's true. The Bible, when it talks about race and in any way, it just talks about the human race. We're all humans. There's one race in the Bible. Uh, and science has verified that, that our DNA is 99.999 the same, no matter what color we are or what facial features we have. Uh, the Bible does talk about tribes and nations, but that's more about religion than it is about color or language or anything that we usually define race by. Uh, <coughs> It doesn't talk about them as races. It talks about a tribe of people or a nation of people or people that follow this religion. And in the Old Testament, the Jews were not supposed to marry those pagans, those other tribes, those other nations that believed in other gods. It wasn't because of the color of their skin. It was because of, of their beliefs and who they worshipped. And God said, don't marry them. They'll pervert you. They'll get you to worshiping other gods. So that's what the Old Testament said. The New Testament says absolutely nothing about race in any way. Second uh, Corinthians 6.14 does kind of talk about what the Old Testament said. It says believers shouldn't be yoked to unbelievers. And certainly that would include marriage I think, but I think it's broader than that. I think it includes best friends and business partners and all that. Uh, that passage, 2 Corinthians six fourteen, says, uh, what do believers have to do with unbelievers? What does light have to do with darkness? Why should believers in Jehovah God uh, have anything to do with or be closely yoked to somebody that doesn't believe in Jehovah God? So, I think that's the principle. It's more religious. It's more what God you believe in uh, than it is the color of the skin or facial features or whatever else. So the Bible doesn't talk about races intermixing. It does talk about believers and non-believers shouldn't intermix in a close way. All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ, uh, Churches of Christ in your viewing area. Help keep us on the air, and we like to mention a few different ones each week today. Let me cover some of them up in the Illinois-Iowa area. We broadcast from Rock Island, and that reaches into Illinois and Iowa. 
And here are some of our partners up in that area. Uh, Sterling, Illinois, Moline, and Muscatine all have uh, groups of Christians that uh, support this program and help us stay on the air. We got their addresses there for them. Uh, if you're close to one of those communities, uh, drop in and visit them sometime. Maybe you know somebody that attends the Moline Church of Christ. Uh, Tell them that you saw them on Know Your Bible, and you appreciate them keeping you on, keeping us on the air. If you're looking for a church home, certainly you'd be warmly welcomed at any of those congregations. Uh, you'd find some folks that uh, study the Bible and think about it like we do on this program, and you'd be warmly welcomed. Whatever area you're in, visit a church of Christ near you. All right, Toby, the right. famous pet question yep, here. We get it from time to time. <laughs> People want to know, will our pets be in heaven? And my answer to that is the Bible does not say precisely. Uh, our answer on this program has always been, if God knows that we need them in heaven, and if heaven will not be perfect without our pets, uh, then he'll have them there. But he will make the exact right decision concerning what, is in heaven and what's not in heaven and what it looks like. What we know about heaven is it's beyond our comprehension. It's too wonderful to even describe. And the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the power uh, has everything to do not with what is in heaven, but with who is in heaven. Uh, the center of it will be the Lamb, the Son of God, and uh, He will be the center of it. And it's all about Him. Uh, forever and ever. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beyond our ability to even fully understand or comprehend. So won't try to get too much into the details of heaven, specifically even on whether our pets will be there or not. If, if, uh, if, if God knows we need them, they'll be there. But He gets to decide and, and uh, it's, it's going to be uh, whatever is needed in a perfect eternity. Uh, God will have all of that there. But I think it's all about who's there and not what's there. So that's right. what I'm going to do all right. what I'm going to say. All right, that. that'll be fine. I always <laughs> had the part that if he's going to let cats in, then he's going to have to fix my cat allergy. He's going to have to get rid of that, yeah. which he can do, I yeah, suppose. Absolutely. So. <laughs> we'll be fine whatever way. All right, last question. Where in the Bible does it say hell is the center is in the center of the earth? Well, it doesn't say that. Uh, that's kind of the way we think about it because of some things the Bible says. Luke chapter 10 and verse 15, uh, Jesus said that Capernaum shall be thrust down to hell. So that's kind of where we get the idea that hell is down. And then, of course, Jesus, when he ascended from the earth to heaven, he went up. So that's the way we think about it. Heaven's up and hell is down. Uh, but it doesn't say it's in the center of the earth uh, where the abode of the dead is, uh, which is different from hell. I don't know where that is. But uh, bear in mind that when he comes back, he's going to destroy this earth. And then there's going to be new heavens and new earth. Uh, so exactly where hell's going to be and where the heaven is going to be, uh, he's got the whole universe to work with. He's going to work that out just fine, but uh, I don't think it'll be in the center of the earth uh, for eternity because the earth's going to be destroyed. But we can still think of it as up and down, heaven's up, hell's down, and that's good enough, but the Bible doesn't say that particularly. All right, let's get our trivia question answered for today, and it was, who was Joshua's father? And Joshua 
didn't have a father technically. Joshua 1.1 says he was the son of none. Uh, so you can ask that as a trick trivia question. Who in the Bible didn't have a father? Uh, it was Joshua because he was the son of none. Well, obviously none, N-U-N, does not mean none. Uh, it was the guy's name, so he was the father. Joshua's father was none. Glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week as we answer some more of your questions. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.